I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the show. This is David Scales, and today we wax on with Matt Warshaw. You've heard from Matt Warshaw recently through other media sources, I'm sure. Um, He's been doing a press junket as part of a membership drive for his website, The Encyclopedia of Surfing. It's a $3 monthly membership. The reason that I support The Encyclopedia of Surfing is because it's the main resource and reference when I'm researching a guest on this show. What I think is actually really exciting about 2017 is that there are so many independent artists and businesses offering us interesting things to wear, to view, to consume. Certainly, big business isn't inherently bad, but as a kid getting into surfing, everybody, all my friends, all the random surfers that I'd see in the water, we all wore the exact same wetsuits. We watched the exact same films. We emulated the exact same surfer and... um, All those things were really relevant at the time, but we just had fewer decisions about what to watch, ride, wear, read. Um, This particular moment, I think, in time just feels like a renaissance where you have really talented and interesting people pursuing their own interests and sharing them independently without having to um, homogenize it to fit into a given media outlet's vision. And Matt Warshaw... Is kind of the perfect example of that with his encyclopedia of surfing. You'll hear his origin story in a few minutes, but just one point that I want to make before we get into it is that I feel compelled to give Matt three bucks a month because I think that his best work is yet to be done. A membership to support somebody's endeavor could certainly be a risk. They could certainly squander the resources. Matt not only has a decades-long resume and track record of high-quality publishing, but he's also been paying it forward with the Encyclopedia of Surfing for years now. He's clearly driven to get the job done, and if he was actually backed by adequate support and funding, I think that the lack of that stressor would free up a creativity that could express itself in untold ways. So in short, I simply believe in Matt Warshaw, and that's why I'm excited to give him $3 a month and let him guide the way. Art by committee is rarely ever any good, yet art by kind of passionate, driven, and focused individuals is really what I'm interested in consuming and seeing. So anyway, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Matt Warshaw. Hey, 
Matt, you told me that you listen to Chaz and I during your nightly bath, which I was simultaneously flattered by and creeped out by. <laughs> I just did it the once. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> it's, it's not a regular thing. You know what? I'm not ashamed of that. That's I'm usually just in there listening to whatever music I can. I, I feel like I want to sort of get me through that last bit of uh, of, of, of my day. But I thought, gosh, if I'm going to go on the show, I better listen to the pros and figure out how they do it. I really only have one talent in in, in life. I can copy, I can mimic people, you know. I can, so if it's a um, Final Cut Pro or if it's writing or if it's even surfing, I'm always good at figuring out who's a lot better at it than I am and how close can I get to what they do. So I thought, well, I'll listen to... Uh, to you and Charlie, and maybe that'll you know put me put me in the at least in the game. So that's that's what that was all about. It wasn't anything too strange. Super kind of you, and I appreciate you um, using us as the examples of who would be good at this because that's probably a stretch. Um, so welcome though to the podcast world. I began inviting you on this show three years ago, man. What the heck? Why have you been dodging me all this time? This is something that I laugh at, so I don't I don't mind admitting it. But I've I've always had a pretty serious fear of of public speaking, and and I get really anxious. Um, um, and I still probably can't. I'm still probably incapable of standing up and speaking in front of an audience. In fact, my high school, Miracosta High School in Manhattan Beach, go Mustangs. Um, two years ago, I was or three years ago, I was. Um, I was selected to be in their uh, first ever uh, class of their, you know, they're going to have like a hall of fame or a walk of fame or something. And, and I was selected to be in this, you know, this debut group of people. And the, the minute I found out, it was like, oh, that's such an honor. I'm so thrilled. And my very second thought was, fuck, am I going to have to get up and talk, you know, because, and sure enough, I was supposed to. And I thought about it for a couple of days, and I sweated and stressed, and finally, <laughs> finally, I just chickened out, and I called my brother, who, who lives down in, where, where where my high school is in Manhattan Beach still, and and he was good enough to stand up and do it for me, and we just told some lie, like you know, oh, Matt's in Matt's in Indonesia surfing, man, he couldn't be here, but he just wanted to say, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, I'll, I've done anything to not to not be um, put sort of in the position that I'm in right now, except I'm seeing like I'm, I'm kind of getting the hang of it a little bit, but I've, I've like not done NPR stuff and I've not done like almost everything. I'm not, I'm not really a talking head, you know? So, but, but beca because of this thing I'm doing, trying to save the websites, it's like, well, shit, I, I, I gotta do everything I can. And part of that is stand up, stand up for this project and and that means taking uh, a couple of beta blockers and a little extra slice of ativan today and and just beating my nerves down and 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 talking so it wasn't you david it wasn't like oh i don't want to do the i don't want to do that show that that guy's you know it was just i get i get nervous and and i prefer to just sit here in my cloistered dark um office and you know operate from behind the screen I think that your reclusiveness has probably served you well to a certain degree just because it makes you more elusive and more people actually want to know who you are. And now that you've come out of hiding, so to speak, um, everybody's anxious to hear what you have to say. So why, why come out of hiding and what do you have to say, Matt Warshaw? My career is at stake. <laughs> my whole thing. This, the, encyclopedia, wow. my, the, the Encyclopedia of Surfing, which in my more grandiose moments um it it you know everything i've kind of done since i was really little in surf and in my career kind of led to this project and i won't you know i won't sort of bore you with how it all but but the encyclopedia of surfing is you know it's a um it's the books that i've written because it's history and encyclopedia it's all the photos and video and articles that I was able to get on the site because of my career in surf. So for example, I mean, you know, the whole site wouldn't work unless I had hundreds of 
photographers and filmmakers, for example, who, who, who make it look so beautiful. And, and I only got all that. I only got all those permission. I only got all those, um, people to agree to do it because I've been around so long and they all, they all know me and they all like the books and everything. I, I hit a point recently where, you know, after five years of it, not making any money or at least enough money, it's like I, I had to, I had to sort of apply the, uh, the paddles to the chest of this thing and either jolt it to life or put it down. And so that's, that's, that's what I'm doing is trying to, um, trying to, you know, I don't know, it not jumpstart is not quite the right word, but I've, I've got to get it to a point where it, where it can keep going. And, um, that's, you know, that's what, that's what we're doing here. Well, we're here for you. I feel like, um, the community will rally and I'm thrilled to support it. I'm embarrassed to say that actually I've utilized it as a resource, but I only started subscribing last month when you expressed your plight. And uh, so I've currently contributed a grand total of $3 to preserve surfing's history. And I am ashamed of it. Yeah. But you know why, you know why that doesn't bum me out in the least is because I always, I keep thinking, God, I've been around for so long with even just with this site, I've been doing this site for so long. How can it be that, you know, there's not thousands of people subscribing and the, and the truth is, People don't know about it still, you know. I mean, I, I keep thinking, I keep thinking that it's out there and it's kind of been um, ignored or rejected or something. And I, I come to find all the time, like what you just said, people who I otherwise would have thought would have subscribed a long time ago. Oh, I just found out it's a subscription site, and and you know, and I have to kind of explain it, and then. Part of me is just going, God, how did they not know? And part of me is just going, well, that's great. That means I've, I, that means I'm not being, that means my mistake isn't that the site's no good. My mistake is that I haven't got the word out enough to get the people to do it. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that um, what I've kind of come to realize in life is you have to just ask for what you want oftentimes. And it's not that people don't even know that it exists. It's that they don't know that you need their $3 donation. You know, um, I used to kind of be under the impression that, oh no, like if you just do good work and do put out goodwill, a benevolent, a benevolent overseer will come along and recognize you and then like take you under their wing. And no, you just need to let people know. So I do believe that my listenership and that surfing community at large would be thrilled to support. So um, I'm glad to help get that message out for sure. Thanks, David. And, and you are you are right. It's like that. I suppose that I thought, you know, when, it, when the site went up four years ago, it, it looks so good to me and it still does. And I just go, well, there, that, you know, this is going to be a piece of cake. Once everyone gets an eyeful of this, ho ho. And, and that just completely is not the case. And that in turn leads, puts me in, into, a, into an area that I'm really weak at, which is, you know, promo and marketing and all that. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I don't have the, um, I don't really have the, uh, the heart or the, or the head for it. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm way, way out of my comfort zone doing all that. I, I suppose everybody is, but I, you know, I, I was never, I, I was never good at sort of marketing stuff. I just, I just wanted to, to do it. And that's how you end up being my age, making the, the wage that you do. But Anyway, you know, well, I'll tell you what, sit back and enjoy the ride. I've designed creatively designed some questions that uh, will do the marketing for you. If you just answer sincerely and honestly, what if I fuck up? Uh, I can edit it out. Okay, good. (laughs) All right. So firstly, what's the most gratifying response you've received from the surf community during this campaign specifically? Well, let me say, first of all, that with this campaign and also I did a Kickstarter in 2011 and um 90 something percent i mean a huge the huge overwhelming percent is coming from regular that is you know non-industry people it's people who just surf who like the site it's and the whole site for for reasons that i've never quite understood um just isn't a favorite or uh, of the industry i don't i don't think the industry is hostile to the surf industry is not hostile to what i do but that i think they're just tremendously indifferent um because you know it's it's a reference source and it's a history it's a history site so it's not their thing and 
but but there's a lot of people that that just again just people who surf and mo mostly older but also some younger who see it dig it and are really happy to be sort of part of it and and at this point you know it's like the um it's small enough that i can kind of communicate with with almost everybody who's part of it so there's this little sense of community that's kind of come up around EOS. So that was true in 2011 with Kickstarter. It's certainly been true with this campaign. And this morning, I got in touch, or a guy, a guy got in touch with me, and he said, in, you know, in 1966, I was a member of the Duke Kahanamoko surf team. And I received this autographed picture of the Duke team from the Duke, from Duke himself. And he said, I, I know that this campaign you're in the middle of is make or break. And, um, I wanted to say, I think we should auction this off to raise money for it. And I was just blown away that this guy would, would, you know, dig into his, um, his treasure chest into his scrapbook or whatever. And, and he sent me a picture of this, you know, of, of this signed wow. photo. And he, and, you know, and he said, I think we can get a thousand dollars for it. And, I was stunned. I, I was just going, wow, that, that is, that's incredible. Like that to me is, you know, so what if, um, pick your favorite surf company hasn't cut me a big check. This guy's gone into his own, you know, memento, um, chest and he's pulled out this, you know, actually kind of priceless thing for him. And he's offered to, um, auction it off on behalf of EOS. And, and I, you know, I said, look, you know, thanks so much, but I just, you know, if it comes to it, I'll, I'll get back to you, but you know, I can't, I can't take that, put it away. And, but that, you know, and that just happened a few hours ago and, and God, that, that just, that's just got me through the whole day today. It's just, you know, that's, that kind of support is, is, is fantastic. I really, I mean, I think it's kind of the way of the future as we move forward and surf, whether it's the industry or just surf media at large, will need to adjust to that in that. People pick their own experience now of the things that they want to support and the um, accounts that they want to follow and all that sort of stuff. We're not reliant upon one or two channels to feed us all the information. They can, um, you know, pick their own pick their own thing. And so that's awesome that you're allowing them a platform to access you and to engage. Well, uh, you know, the the, the project is as big as much text and as many photos and stuff as that is on there that it. It looks huge when you're sort of scrolling through it, but it's really tiny. I mean, just like your show. I mean, it's just it's really me sitting in a guest room with a um, with a MacBook Pro and a bunch of um, and a bunch of uh, magazines and books around me, you know. And by keeping it that small, I don't. It doesn't need to be a huge. I don't. This whole thing doesn't need to um, uh, take over surf media. I, I just need you know a couple thousand stoked people being part of this and, and paying three bucks a month or, or donating a little bit. And I'm, I'm, I'm good. So that kind of small level, um, the smallness of it in a way is a, is a strength. Um, because we have this little, we have this little community around it and it's, it keeps it fun. It, it's nice for me to be able to banter on my side or on Facebook with all of the people that are looking at the stuff that I'm posting and that are subscribing, that are being, you know, part of this little, this little community that we're that we're building and and it's way more satisfying in a lot of ways than it was when I was you know the editor at surfer sending stuff out to a printing press and then getting a dozen letters about that thing um, six or eight weeks later you know I'm 57 and I've never apart from the money part of it I've never had the kind of career work satisfaction that I've had from from doing this it's I, I literally throw the covers off in the morning and uh you know run to the computer to see what happened overnight and then you know i can't i i can't wait to get to work every day let's talk actually a little bit about your background and training and um professional history what spawned your interest in surf history specifically originally you know i don't i don't know david um i i did when i so i was editor at surfer magazine and i turned 30 and had this kind of crisis in like, oh, what am I doing still surfing and still writing articles about teenage phenomenal? I just done an art. I just done, I was 30 years old. I just finished doing articles on Christian Fletcher and Matt Archibald. Great. 
I liked both those kids. It was, it was, I enjoyed interviewing them and everything, but it just felt like I've, you know, I've, it's time to move on. Um, and I pretty quickly, you know, quit that job and went to, I talked my way into uh, UC Berkeley and they, I, I just wanted to do sort of a really basic um, rounded kind of humanities sort of thing, uh, but they, they no longer offered a humanities degree or a liberal arts degree and history was the one that was the closest. So I, I did, you know, I have a degree in history, but when I left, when I got my undergrad in history at age, I think 32, I didn't have any intention really of, of becoming a, a surf historian. Um, I ended up writing longer articles for Surfers Journal that were usually about older surfers. So I did one on, you know, Fred Van Dyke and Jock Sutherland and people like that. And that just sort of led me to digging around in, in surfing's past. And I, I kind of enjoyed making connections from the past to the present. Um, and then I, I kind of did that. I did the encyclopedia and, and a couple of books after that. And all of a sudden it was like, God, I'm, I'm, you know, what last big book could I do? What one last, I, I was getting tired of writing books. Um, what last project could I do? And it just said, well, take, take the big one, right? Write the history of surfing. Um, you know, Nat Young did a version, but we don't need to have just one version of the history of surfing. Let me take a crack at it. And that book came out in 2010 and I was so happy with it in ways that I wasn't with my other books. I was so happy with history of surfing that I said, that's it. I, I'm sort of done writing books and I'm probably done writing long pieces in general. Uh, and that led me to doing the, you know, the website. And I don't know how all of a sudden, I guess because I wrote a history of surfing, people call me an, histor an histor historian, but no, I'm, I'm not really. I'm just sort of a writer, I guess. And, and I do enjoy, I enjoy um, surf history, um, but I don't feel like I'm a, um, I'm not a trained historian. I don't have the, I don't have the rigor that a real historian has, but I've got one foot in both camps, I guess. Well, from the outside looking in, it seems like everybody is supportive and grateful for your endeavor, um, the website and your past endeavors, but have you actually re received any pushback from the surf community? No, not, I can't, I can't think of any pushback. I get suggestions all the time. Like why isn't so-and-so in, in the encyclopedia right. and, and how could you have forgotten this person? And my response to that is, um, if that person should be in there, I'll say that, you know, so-and-so is on my to-do list, but I always add that the to-do to list is, is so huge. I haven't even finished transferring the book version of the encyclopedia to, to the website. I mean, God, I'm probably only two thirds done with that project, you know? And meanwhile, it keeps, you know, all the things that I should be doing just keep getting sort of bigger. I made my piece four or five years ago with the fact that the Encyclopedia of Surfing is never is a never-ending project. It it will never even be close to being finished, and all I can do is sort of plead that you know it's it's just me working on it, and um, I'm kind of, I'm working as fast as I can. I'll try to get to to as as much as I can before I I go forehead first into the into the keyboard, you know. But I do I do get criticism for um, and justly I think criticized for it being too um, sort of California, Australia, sort of American Aussie centric, you know, and, and that's something I'm aware of. And that's something that I have to address. Um, if I get over this thing this month, I, I've got to bring I've got to make this more international. Um, the book version was actually more was better at spreading it around the world than the, the, the website is. And that has a lot to do with I don't have images from some places and, and film that I need. I need so much more stuff uh, on Brazil on my website and I need more from Japan and I need more from, from Europe. So that's, that's coming. That's kind of priority for, uh, for next year and the year after, if I can, if I can keep going. Well, as a historian and writer, um, I'm curious what story would you like to see told? And that's not necessarily a project that you have to take on and go tell the story, but maybe another writer, like what, what is an untold or kind of under excavated story that you would like to see turned into a book or a film? I think it's getting almost too late to do it because all the people that knew him are, are, are gone. But I, I still find 
Tom Blake to be just this giant cipher. I have, you know, we all know what he did. We all know what he looked like. Um, but, but even, even with, you know, two or three books out about Tom Blake, he just seems, um, there's something in there that isn't, that no one's even gotten close to. Um, and I hate to say it, but there's, there's kind of a sadness in, in him and in Blake. And I always kind of wonder, you know, um, what did he get out of, out of surfing? And I, I think it was, he got out, he got out of surfing something a lot more important and deep than most of us do. I think that Tom Blake really needed to be in or near the water um, for all kinds of reasons that I can't quite understand. And I just wish that somebody had kind of gotten deeper into who, who he was and what drove him and, you know, why was he the way he was? He, he's such an important person in surf and, um, but on the other hand, that story would be a downer. The the other one I'd love to see, to, just to like to flip it a little bit, is I'd love to see anything, uh, anything I could see on Dale Velzi. I just who who's to me is the sort of the opposite. Dale seems like he's, it's much more on the surface with Dale, and and Dale was a colossal success and a, just a spectacular failure, and through it all, he's just you know got a flask in his pocket and, and he's got the filthiest jokes you can imagine and he's you know he's driving that Mercedes Gullwing one week and then the and then the you know the IRS is padlocking his store the next week and I'd love to see I'd love to see a documentary or even god dare I say it even like you know a, a sort of a film based on the life of Dale Velzi who Every just even saying his name makes me feel good about surfing and about who we are and and just all of the good and all of the just ridiculousness. Um, that's to me is all wrapped up kind of in in Dale Velzi. He's yeah, he's he's fantastic. I was curious actually about that. I don't have it in my notes, but um, I mean, do you have access to everybody in surfing? You've been around for a little while, but you've also given what your endeavors have been writing history. I would imagine you've had to have been in contact with, can you like text anyone right now from Kelly to, uh, from, to Reno, let's say. I, I, I don't, I don't think I have, um, the courage to, to, to email Reno Avalara. It's funny. His name, Reno's name is first, the first name on my contact, on my, on my contact book, on my computer. So every time I opened up my contacts page, <laughs> Reno's the first thing I see. Um, he and I used to be in contact when I was at Surfer and everything was fine. So I, that was a that was a strange strange episode. And um, Kelly, now and then Kelly will comment on something I post, and he and I will have a little back and forth. But if I reach out directly to him about something, then usually it's nothing. You know, it, it needs to he needs to initiate it. So nothing there. I think that's the case with even his closest business associates, you know, people older, you know, older surfers in general just seem to really get and, and understand what I'm doing and want to be part of it. And yeah, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll take my call or, their, or my email. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, being able to, to, to do that. I can just call up Mickey Mignot's or something and, and have a chat with Mickey. And that's, that's wonderful. I know it's quite a position, um, transitioning a little bit. You live up in Seattle. What the heck are you doing up there? We moved to Seattle in 2011, like on a just on five weeks' notice after my wife got a job offer at Amazon, and it ties into sort of what we're talking about because I had just started working on the website, but sort of as a weekend thing, um, and she knew that this is what I wanted to do, but you know it wasn't going to pay any money. Um, at least not right away. And, um, I was still freelancing articles at that time. And, and the, the job offer from Amazon came in and she really wanted to go. And I said, no way, I'm not leaving San Francisco. I'd been in San Francisco for 20 years and, you know, I'm not leaving the beach. I'm not leaving my friends. I, this is where I'm, this is my, I took a really hard line and, you know, there were tears. I, there was, you know, I had slept on the couch for two nights and then part of the, Part of the thing was I realized I actually didn't want to be surfing every day anymore. That's a whole other wow. long story. We had a, a two-year-old son who I, 
I just realized I somebody once said you can only ever do two things well at any given time in your life. And I I found that to be true and for my whole life it had been work and surfing. And my son was born and I tried to do three things which was surf, work and be with my family and that wasn't it wasn't working as well as it should. So like the job offer came, big fights, and this light bulb went off in my head and I thought, God, I've just got to go up to do this, that you know, go along with this and be happy for Jody and 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 look after my work and look after my family. That's those are my two things. And meanwhile, she had said sort of early in the um, negotiation, you know, if we go, you can just take one year. Don't worry about making money and get the website up. And that was I thought that's fantastic. That's that's great. That's what I'll do. And you know that that was the whole the whole idea was that by 2012 the website would be up. And again, in my complete naivety, I was just thinking in 2012 the web, website will be up. It'll be fantastic and I'll be back earning as much money as I would have been otherwise. Boom, done. So the website was didn't even go up until 2000, I think 14. So, you know, right away I'm 2 years in the hole. And um I forgot what your question was, but anyway, no. So, you know, that, so that's how we ended up in Seattle. Oh, that's right. So, you know, yeah. Jody got this job yeah. offer. She said, I'll support you while you do this. And, and that honestly leads us right to here. You know, she's basically supported me and the EOS right up until this month. And, you know, a few months ago, we decided this is going to happen or it's not going to happen. And I haven't been just sitting here in, in my sweat, my sweatsuit working on the site. I, you know, Jody goes to work and I do. I do a lot of the, I'm kind of a house husband as well. I get Teddy to school and pick him up and, and take him to the doctor and, and take him to soccer and everything. But, you know, it's been looking after the kid, doing the website. And then, um, you know, I pour Jody a glass of wine when she gets home at, at, uh, at six o'clock and that's been our life. But when you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, you know, I I know you said it's a much bigger story, but one topic or area I'd like to go down just slightly because it's come up multiple times recently on the show is um, how are you handling being farther away from the ocean, um, firstly? And then secondly, do you think it's really helped or hindered your surfing ability? My surfing ability was going down the tubes when I was still surfing. It wasn't going down tubes. It was in decline. Um, and I was having a really hard time with that because I, I was, um, I'm so you, I was really used to from a young age being, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the hot guys. And, and, and once that started to go one, and, and, you know, it wasn't just, and I, and I think it wasn't that I was deteriorating physically. 
I was just getting tired of, of chasing it so hard. It's so much work to, to, you know, do it at the level that I was used to doing it. It was, it, it started really feeling like a, like a, like a second, a second job. And the moments, the really joyous moments were becoming further and, and far between, further between, further and, you know, harder, harder to find. It was getting harder to sort of hit the target, you know, whereas a, when I was yeah. younger, I would just do it for hours at a time. I'd drive up and down the coast and chase it and surf all the shitty days and all that. And, you know, by the mid or late 2000s, I just wanted to surf on good days and I just wanted to surf hollow waves. And, and because of that, my, my skills were going. So to answer your question, when we left up to come up here in 2011, I was so ready once I made that sort of turn that corner in my head about it's time to do this. I was so ready to not be a full-time surfer. And I moved up here and gave all my surfboards away. I gave away I had 10 or 12 boards. I just gave them all to various uh, friends and, and stuff. And, and it was, I, I, this is really hard. I, my, the younger version of myself would never understand this. And I don't I expect anybody else who's still full on into surfing to get this. But I surfed or had the option to surf every day for 42 years from age eight to uh, 41. You know, I, I, I was never either, you know, I was never either not in the, I was in the water or I was able to get to the water soon. And when I let it go, it was, it, it felt great. It was wonderful. And I still, I still surf now and then, but not nowhere near as well as I did. And, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't miss it. I, I miss being young. I miss, I miss, you know, when I did love it, when I, when I lived for it, I miss what that felt like. Cause it was so certain. It was such a certainty in my life. This is what I want to do. And you no, know, yeah. but, but, but I replaced it. You know, I, I have a family and I have a job that I love and I have something to look forward to, you know, as much. So it, it's a funny thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I crossed over and I have friends who I used to surf with, especially at Ocean Beach, who I almost think look at me like a little bit of a, like I'm kind of a ghost in a way, you know, a friendly, a friendly ghost, but like how, they don't, they don't understand that this is possible. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating topic. And like I said, it's come up a few times recently and people speak of it fondly or people who have even quit surfing speak of it fondly. And uh, it's something that I had never really considered in my earlier life. But what I found is that as um, life takes over and responsibility takes over and I spend le less time in the water, I um, feel an anxiety about not being in the water. But once I kind of accept it and relinquish the anxiety and recognize what you've recognized, which is I actually love spending time with a family or spending time at work then it allows me to actually let that anxiety go and then also hyper appreciate the time that I do get to spend in the water, you know? Right. And you know, what's really strange is that the, the anxiety for me comes, and this is, this is something I've just got to work on and figure out. The anxiety for me comes is when I do go surfing, especially if I'm just surfing shit waves somewhere on a, on a on a longboard or a borrowed seven, six or whatever. I don't care. It's fine. I just get, I, I'll go out and get five waves and come in. I'll be stoked. But like the time you and I first surfed together, David recently, if, if I think that I'm in a position to where I might be able to surf well again, or I might, it's something that I really want instead of, I don't give a shit about it. I get really anxious. I really want to do it. And I really want to do it the way I used to do it. And why in the world would I be able to? I mean, I, I surf like twice a year or four times a year or something in decent waves. And, you know, I haven't surfed a good hollow wave like we got since, I don't know how many years it's been, you know? So I get really anxious because I still want to do it well. And the truth is, you know, it's nearly impossible for me to, to surf the way I used to. So I need to get over that. The, the time I enjoy most in the water now, these days, is just going um, shore break body surfing. So my brother lives in Manhattan Beach and I go visit. And if, if the water's warm and it's just thumping shoulder high waves on the beach, I don't really like body surfing, you know, long rolly waves, but if it's just walloping little shore break, 
all I want to do is get that half second of tube time and I just want to get rolled. I want to get rolled around and tumbled and feel the um, feel that wave move through me. That and, and you know, and that's what I loved when I was seven or eight years old. So I there's something almost poetic about having gone through all of it and all I want to do now is the same thing that I did when I was eight. Funny. Well, being um, removed from the ocean, removed from a lot of surfing, and sitting behind a desk most of the day, um, what is the most unsurfy thing about you? <laughs> this, this was unsurfy even when I was surfing, you know, six hours a day, and I. You were, you were saying earlier about sort of one of the great, you know, the, the mysteries of, of surf and what people do or don't surf all the time. And this has been a mysterious thing for me that I've kept pretty private, but I love country Western music. And oh my gosh, I know. And, and, and I love all music, you know, but um, I don't spend most of my tub time listening to um, you and Charlie. <laughs> But I spend a lot of time in the tub listening to um, George Jones or Randy Travis or or Clint Black. You know, I I I sit in there and I go, I love this stuff so much. Is there any other surfer besides Todd Holland that even knows who these guys are? No, none. Tory Meister. Tory Meister. Where is he? Where is Tory from? Tory is from the Big Island, Kona side. And on Instagram, every Wednesday, he does Western Wednesdays, and it'll be an edit of him surfing cut to country music. Oh, well, he's my new favorite surfer then. I didn't, I had no idea. That's, that's amazing. I, I love hearing that. And you know, on, he now deserves a page on the EOS just for that. Share. I, so I've actually tried, I've made, I think I've made 800 videos for EOS, little short things. Um, and I've tried to do something to country, and it actually, I realize when I make a clip, when I try to set it to country music, it just, it actually doesn't work. I, I, I realize I'm being indulgent, you know. But for my, on my own I'm time. Glad, I'm glad that you can view it from that, that perspective, because I agree with you. Um, even with Tori's clips, I never actually turn the volume on. I'll watch his surfing, but I leave the volume shut off because it, it doesn't work, generally. You know, country, well, I've been listening to it since since about 84 or 85 um but country does grow it gets better it, it it becomes it it makes more sense the older you get you know because a lot of that music is sort of about i don't know being married or or screwing up your your, your relationship in a huge way as an older person sort of so i don't know you know it's one of those things that might make sense to people later but i'm not going to hold my breath i don't i just don't think i remember once sitting in a car at Steamer Lane in probably 1989, watching the Coldwater Classic. And I was doing an article for Surfer about uh, surfers and music. And I was going around asking certain people um, what they thought about various genres of music. And I was sitting in a car with Martin Potter, who was went on to win the contest and went on to win the world title that year. Um, and I said, you know, what do you... What do you think of oldies? And he, uh, and he sort of shrugged. And I, you know, what do you think of reggae? And he lit up. He loves reggae. And you know, what do you think of um, new wave or something? And he loved that. And Martin, what do you think of country? And he just made this face like he, you know, like he bit into a pickle. And he just goes, "It's disgusting, mate." And, <laughs> and I, I actually, I, you know, I quit asking people. I quit asking surfers that weekend what they thought of country because everybody i just got the same reaction from everybody i think they all thought i was joking you know but well i'm gonna tell you what i'm gonna let you pick the song that we go out on on this episode um so you let me know what it is you could think about it if you want and then send it to me afterwards but we'll give the listeners we'll, we'll force them to listen to one country song and you get to pick it We'll force them to listen to at least five seconds before they turn it off. But yes, okay, I'll do that. I'd love okay, to. Perfect. <laughs> um, well, a couple of closing questions. I know you've got to get going with your evening, but um, if you could get a four-hour dinner with any three surf personalities, dead or alive, who would they be? A four-hour dinner. Um, I have a huge soft spot um, in my heart for 
for Malibu. I, I, I didn't learn to surf at Malibu, but Malibu was my first destination spot because I learned to surf in Venice and Santa Monica and Malibu was kind of where you graduated to. It was, I don't know, 20 minutes up the coast or something. We used to be able to ride a bus up to Malibu. Maybe you still can, but, you know, starting from about the age or uh, 11, we either get dropped off or ride a bus up to Malibu and it was magic. It was a magic place after surfing fucking, you know, Bay Street or Venice going to Malibu was amazing. And I used yeah. to go up there with Jay Adams and we kind of ruled the, the, the inside at first point was our little domain. You know, that was where we, we, we owned that spot. And we had, we were kind of like the, um, the mascots for the Malibu, the, you know, the local crew back then. So nobody would, could sort of mess with us. Cause if you messed with us, you'd had to mess with Dave White, who was the, the enforcer. So we ruled the inside at first point and then, you know, Every summer we'd sort of work our way up and eventually we got up to third point. You know, even when I drive by there now and roll the window down, just the smell of the place is magic to me, you know, and and, and of course I you know, I never knew it. I've never surfed it when it wasn't insanely crowded. I and I, I you know, I got I would get so nerve wracked surfing Malibu in a crowd, like once a summer I'd get a set wave from, you know, and, and every time I've ever got a set wave at Malibu I just sort of safety surfed it because you're not going to, you know, who wants to screw up your one chance to surf Malibu, to surf a good wave at Malibu. Um, so I, I ended up getting the shoulder of my one set wave per summer and just go, fuck. I just, <laughs> I didn't do anything on that wave, you know. But so to get yeah. to your question, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for, for Malibu, like after World War II, when getting back to Velzi, when the boards were getting good. And and Malibu wasn't crowded, and that was where everything, you know, great in surfing, not everything, but so much great in surfing was happening on the beach at Malibu. And I would love to have a, you know, a day at first point. Three guys, you said? So three guys would be Joe Quigg, uh, Matt Kivlin, and, and, uh, and Tom Zahn. And I would like to just load up my roadster with those guys. And I'm, a, I'm assuming that if I'm surfing with those three guys, I'm as popular as they are and as good looking and is a good of a surfer. And the four of us would go off to have, um, to have dinner somewhere on Pacific coast highway or somewhere in Santa Monica. And you know, I, the, even when I see pictures of those guys, <clears throat> their smiles and how happy they were. And, and I know this is just putting everything in a glowing nostalgic, light but i kind of feel like they knew what surfing was like before the war they were just kids and here they are right. they, mu they must have known on some level that they were actually like remodeling the sport and that must have felt great it's not you know nobody for years as i think understood what that felt like maybe not since the shortboard revolution but what those guys did the boards they made and, and the and the and the the ways that they were inventing to ride waves uh, in the late 40s and early 50s, I, they must have had an idea about how what a cool thing they were on. And I would, I would love to be part of that gang, and I would love to um, to share uh, three or four pitchers of beer with them, and eat some seafood at a, at a roadhouse in Santa Monica after surfing Malibu all day. Awesome. Uh, what surf media do you follow currently? Do you subscribe to magazines still? Which websites do you check regularly? It's funny. I don't, I, stuff seems to sort of come to me. I don't seek much out anymore. So I still get magazines. Um, any, any magazine I get is almost like a homework assignment. I sit down with it with, with lunch or dinner and I just sort of page through it. And I feel like it's incumbent upon me to absorb as much as I can to stay current but I don't really look forward to it that much anymore. The only thing I don't miss, um, there's a few writers that I look out for that I just don't miss anything that they write that I will, if I see anything on Twitter or whatever, that there's a new article by, or a new post by Sean Doherty, um, Chaz Smith, uh, Derek Riley, or Nick Carroll. I'll, I'll read anything that those guys write. I would read a shopping list that those guys wrote, you know, <laughs> they're so good. And, and I, I've been saying lately because people, again, I, I, I started subscribing to surfer in 69 and I've been reading all this stuff for so long. And people, I think, um, still imagine that it was sort of better back in the day. Surf riding has never been as good as it is right now. If you're, if you're 
focused in on what's on what's good. And more to the point, surf riding has never been funnier than it is right now. And that's yeah, that's, and it should be. That's all. It, I mean, what is there to say that you, about surfing about how great it is that you can't see in any photo? You, it's obviously gorgeous. It's obviously, um, you, you know, you can even pick up on, you know, how you know if if you choose to make it spiritual, look how beautiful this is. You're outdoors. This wave is is gorgeous. You're in the ocean. It's everything you need to know about how good and and gorgeous and and uplifting surfing is can be seen in photos and video and what you you know what you can't do through visual media is usually you can't is you know be clever get a laugh and, and be and and be funny like surfers are funny you know well, surfers are funny people and so those guys and I'll, I'll say charlie and derek in particular um god you know derek riley can't write um you know, he, Derek Riley can't face, he can't look at the smallest thing, like a, just a caption without doing something like verging on brilliant. He, everything he does is, is he loves to write and he's such a natural. And, uh, you know, I, again, I would read anything that those, any of those guys write and, and surf writing right now. And there's other guys that I'm not mentioning. Um, surf writing right now is better than it's, than it was ever. Um, you know, as far back as you want, as you, as you want to go. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear you say that. Um, where do you think media has failed in recent years? And then where do you think it's made its greatest strides? Well, I mean, print is just failing, but that's not surfing's fault. That's just, you know, print's fault. Um, and the, the whole visual and any, the, the surf video and surf movies, those aren't failing. There's just too much of it. So it's too, there's too many clips. There's too many there's too many um, shorts. There's too many features. There's just too much stuff to. It's overwhelming, you know. Um, when I again, not you know, when I was a kid, but when I was a kid, the surfer came out six times a year, and then you'd get three or four surf movies that would come around for one night stands at your place, and and that was it, you know. So everything you could get, you 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 rushed off to get it. And if you could go to, you know, to see the surf movie twice, you'd see it twice. And you, you, you'd go through your surf magazines until the pages were crumbling under your fingers, you know? So that's not the case anymore. The thing that is so good now is, um, I, I love live streamed surf contests, not all of them, but, uh, what, what I, I, you know, the production values have gotten pretty, have gotten good every year. The, Every year, the uh, the WSL does a better job at, at 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 on the visual part of it. The announcing is a sort yeah. of a different thing, but the visual part of it just keeps getting better and better. And what I have come to love above all things um, in sort of surf media is the tension of watching something live. And I don't I don't love surf contests. I did them forever. I I almost think surf contests. It, I completely agree that it's a square peg round hole. You know, we none of us really surf. If you're watching the Super Bowl, it's you can relate to it because there two teams are trying to beat each other, just just like when you're on the sand, you know, when you're playing football in high school. And if you're watching Wimbledon, it's just the same thing as you playing tennis with your wife. You're trying to, you're having a game. Surfing is not man on man. Can I beat you in 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 thirty minutes? But I'll watch. I'll, I can get pulled into anything if 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 there's something on the line, and if there's pressure i love to see how those how people can perform under that that kind of insane pressure it's it's just really compelling to me and it gets more compelling of course if the surf's good i i don't i can't really get too excited if the surf's not good but um the contests that you know the the streams that come through from the good wave venues uh and you're getting up toward the end of an, an event and especially if there's a world title thing on on the line God, you know, I'll drop everything and watch that stuff. And I, I'm just fascinated by all of the interplay and all of the psychological stuff and all of the emotion because everything else is filtered or produced and watching these two, watching two guys surf head to head in 30 minutes, forget that it's not anything like my surfing experience and I don't want it right. to be. It's just, I find it to be really, really compelling. Just the way I'll get into anything during the Olympics, that two weeks of the Olympics, you know, 
I love watching people perform under pressure. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's a good point. I mean, to be honest, I don't drop um, what I'm doing for a magazine that shows up or for any you know, article on a website, nor even imagery, maybe on Instagram, I'll just save it and come back to it later. But you're right. When a live event is on, I actually do schedule my day around that. So that is, that is super compelling. And, and again, and again, you know, again, like as far as like this being an advancement on what used to be, you know, even when you were at the beach before, I won't say it was worse because it's pretty fun to be sitting at the beach at Pipe. I watched a lot of Pipe Masters contests in the 80s and early 90s, and it's pretty it's pretty awesome. But there's something to be said, you know, for actually watching it on the stream when you're getting all these different angles and you're getting the analysis. And you're also, I always keep a window open on Twitter. So you know, there's all this kind of back and forth going on at the same time, which gives this other element. And, you know, th- th- there used to be, you know, when, when Derek... When Derek um, Hine was writing contest articles when I was editor at Surfer, you know, he'd be in South Africa covering an event in Durban, and our readers wouldn't even know who won the contest until eight weeks later when they would read Derek's article. And God, you know, what, how, you know, what fun is that, right? No, it's insane. Um, All right. Well, in closing, let's assume every single listener. He finishes listening to this, gets on encyclopediaofsurfing.com, subscribes. What is the very first surf or what's the very first page they should look at? Um, I just today posted this clip that I made on cold water surfing, and I think it's on the wetsuits page. And it's just a really funny clip about being really cold. You know what? Don't even just just go to just go to the EOS uh, Facebook and you can look at the clip. Uh, you know, go if you go to the homepage of Encyclopedia of Surfing, it's got that grid. Yep. Pick a photo and click, and all of it's you know if it's if that's not good, click on another one. You 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 won't have to go too far before you'll find before you'll find something I think that'll that'll be interesting. And and while I've got you, David, let me say, um, it, it, any of your listeners who are just who are broke who can't afford three bucks a month, email me because I I I will give them a free subscription. I'm not trying to keep anybody off the site. I'm trying to make enough money to keep so I can keep the thing going, but the, the the idea that anybody would think that EOS is sort of this elitist thing that you have to pay for, totally not true. I've given away a lot of free subscriptions. Anyone I know who doesn't have the the money, um, I, I'm glad it doesn't cost me anything to put them to give them an access code. So, um, so cool. Yeah. Well, the final question for everybody interviewed is just what was the last surfboard that you rode? The last surfboard I rode was when I was with you last week. Some borrowed, borrowed board. Um, the last six boards I rode were all borrowed, and um, all of them actually went went pretty well. Um, if I had to just ride one board forever, I would ride a sort of a you know a six six Jim Banks kind of round pin. I can ride that board in 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 sort of anything. Well. I think we are entering, or maybe we've already entered a super interesting era in surfing, uh, perhaps a flashpoint or even like a cornerstone where um, influence will happen in this kind of trickle up fashion where the general surfer, the everyday average dude with no stickers on his board with a black wetsuit will dictate the next phase of either board design, wave exploration, which stories the media is covering. And for the last 20 or 30 years, it all trickled down from the magazines and the pros. And if Kelly, Kelly was like the only human on the planet qualified to ride that elf shoe rocketed potato chip Merrick. And yet all of my friends and I learned on those boards because he was riding it. So I think that nowadays the general surfing public, you know, they're not subscribing to magazines. Um, They're not buying O'Neill t-shirts, but they're thrilled to spend three bucks 
funding you and they'd even pay double the price for a t-shirt if it was one that you were selling because they're passionate and they're picking their own adventure and i think that they're more engaged now and um not only through the accounts that they follow on instagram but again where they choose to spend their money because it's investment in themselves and it's an investment in their own surf experience and three dollars a month to preserve surfing's history is not only a no-brainer but i think i would argue it's a necessity thanks david i you know i can i i can't say that um i thought about it sort of philosophically i just ended up here where this this is my project and it it seems to somehow actually dovetail with i hate this word but it seems to kind of dovetail with the zeitgeist of what's happening right now and and I won't say I'm the beneficiary because here I am grubbing for the, you know, the life of my site. But on the other hand, it, it feels great to be, at least it feels like I'm on sort of this progressive edge of, of the sport that I love so much. And that just seems miraculous because I'm, I'm so fucking old and I'm still, you know, it still feels <laughs> like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting left behind. I'm sort of up there with, with, with guys that I really admire who are, much much younger and you know than i am so that's it's um it's a great it feels great to be where i am right now you know apart from again apart from the um the life and death circumstances that i find myself in no no man i think there's a bright future ahead so i'm excited for you thanks for having me on the show david that was so fun yeah no worries man thank you go get your kid i will i'll talk to you soon man here i go again got myself in trouble Baby, I need help to get here on the double. You must be the one to show me signs so subtle. Thank you all to spend more time inside my bubble. Looking for a heartache like you. I've been looking for a heartache like you. Buddy Miller's Looking for a Heartache Like You is Warshaw's song choice, which I'm honoring but I'm not signing off on uh, encyclopedia of surfing.com slash subscribe is how you can not only support, but also have access to all of surfing's history. You can click over from surf where we have photos of Matt and everything else that he and I discussed um, is all on surf And then we also have a comment section where you can share your thoughts about today's show Matt also has a cool and information-packed Instagram account, which I'll link to and tag if you follow me, at Surf Splendor. And then if you'd like to support this show while learning about fins, you can sign up for a Fanatic subscription with the promo code PODCAST, and you'll get your first month free. Fanatic is basically like Netflix for fins. You rent fins through their website. You, uh, they send them to your house. You use them as long as you want and then just ship them back with the prepaid addressed envelope that they give you. Um, and then they just send you another set of fins off your queue. They have an entire or they have the entire line of futures, FCS, and all other major fin companies. It's only 10 bucks a month. It's unbelievable. And again, an independent dude with a great concept, executing it really well with savvy software. And uh, we're thrilled to kind of be partnered with them. We are benefactors. You're a benefactor. Just use the promo code podcast and you'll get a month free and then we'll get a kickback. Also, another way to support the show is just uh, by rating and reviewing it in your podcasting app. That helps our ranking increase, which again increases our download stats which will increase our access to great guests one itunes review from two years ago said quote i'm an expat from california living in shanghai china for work i grew up surfing on the north shore of Kauai, and now ocean and now i'm ocean deprived in shanghai the podcast keeps me sane over here especially on days where the pollution is so bad I can hardly see the sky, the skyscrapers across the street from me. Listening to the podcast helps me feel at home, and it's easy to listen to while on the train, subway, taxi. Thanks, David. So I just came across that review um, again, two years old, but it reminded me 
I have a lot of ambitions in 2018, and one of them is to have more conversations with people and brands that are focused on improving the Earth's health and well-being. I believe that all the damage that we've done to the Earth in the past century has the potential to actually be corrected and restored by the Elon Musks of the world. Um, I believe that through science and technology, radical improvements can be made. And who we support, which businesses we fund, will dictate the rate at which restoration happens. So I'll be finding those people and incorporating those conversations into my programming here. You are more than welcome to send me any suggestions you might have. Send them to hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. Or again, just tag me on Instagram or direct message. Um, And that's it. I hope that you're enjoying the Pipe Masters and the holidays. I'll be back next week with an all-new episode of The Grit with Chas Smith. And then I'll close out the year with an episode of Shaping Surfing with Manny Caro of uh, Mandela Custom Shapes. So you can look forward to those episodes. Until then, this is David Scales for Matt Warshaw and the Surf Splendor Network, reminding you to enjoy the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on.